Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shine and Flow. Um, I'm finally back. I took a little bit of a break just to get everything lined up for myself and just to get my energy back and um, really focus on a really good message and something I really want to talk about and share. Um, today, I'm really looking forward to talking about this topic and uh, I have my friend Megan Spangler, who's a licensed, and, uh, licensed marriage and family therapist. And she's going to talk to us today about um, suicide prevention. Um, she actually ran a suicide prevention program. And I think given the circumstances of the world currently and um, COVID and everything going on, um, there's a lot of danger of that happening. So um, my biggest goal with this episode is to hopefully reach someone out there who might be feeling some type of angst or maybe having suicidal ideations, or if you know of someone experiencing these types of things, um, the purpose of this episode is for you to really take action and, you know, show people some love, show yourself some love. So um, before we get started, let's go ahead and start with our three deep breaths and let's get centered. So go ahead and take a deep breath in and out. In, out, last one, in, and out. Ah, so much better. <laughs> Megan, are you there? I am. Yay, Megan, how are you doing today? Doing well. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. No, like, thank you so much for being a part of today's episode, because I just think that, you know, this is something that is so prevalent in our society and it's not given enough attention or care. And I'm hoping that, you know, we can help kind of shift the paradigm with how it's something to be ashamed of and maybe encourage people to be vulnerable with experiences that they're having. Absolutely. That would be an incredible shift because that can yeah. be a barrier for people to seek support and help. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's why I asked you to come on because I know you have a lot of experience with this as you ran a suicide prevention program and you're also a licensed therapist. So I'm sure you can give us some great information and some great knowledge. So again, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm so pleased to have this opportunity. If, if even it helps one person, it's well worth it. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So I was doing a little bit of research before we, you know, jumped on. Cause I was thinking to myself, like, I, I need to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. So I was looking at, uh, and you know, these statistics I came across were, really frightening and just, you know, made me really, really sad because I was reading that the second leading cause of death for people in their ages 10 to 34 mm -hmm. is suicide. Mm -hmm. And the fourth leading cause of death for uh, people 35 through 54 is suicide. And that to me was just, you know, second leading cause of death for people in a bracket of 10 years old to 34 years old. Yes. 
wow, what is going on there, right? Right, absolutely. So I was also um, reading that there has been a steady increase in the U.S. since 1999. Um, There's been actually a 35% increase. And um, a lot of it is either through um, alcohol poisoning or drug overdose, which in itself is, you know, basically suicide if people mm-hmm. are right? So, so I guess what I want to just learn from you today is, you know, what, what is your take on this and what can we do moving forward? I know you have a lot of experience again with your program that you ran. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so these questions and the statistics, it's such a complicated, uh, gosh, I don't even know how to describe what we're up against here with suicide prevention because it is so prevalent, like you just shared, and it's so complex. And every person that I have talked with that has thought about taking their own life has such a unique story. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I have found some patterns to exist and it's, of course, you can't, um, generalize it across the board, but, um, a lot of times what will happen with individuals that are contemplating suicide is there may be just too much loss all at the same time where there could be fear of loss of job. There could mm-hmm. be the fear of a loss of an intimate or a very significant relationship in their life financial stress, um, so many things that could be going on where the person just feels completely overwhelmed and doesn't see a way out of it. That is um, one potential thing. I mean, there's so many potential things that could be going on. And Mm -hmm. what I had the opportunity to do was run a program where if somebody had been able to have some type of clinical intervention, like inpatient care at a psychiatric unit, upon discharge, they were admitted into a program that I was overseeing. And basically what the program offered was caring letters and caring contacts to individuals. And it was a 90-day program, and it had intervals set up to where a mental health professional would call the individual that had been to the psychiatric ward for suicidal ideations. And the intention was it was it was created off of a survey or a survey, I'm sorry, a study that Stanford did about, uh, I think it was called like caring letters prevent suicide. And they were actually finding that when individuals felt cared about after a psychiatric, you know, um, crisis, that it reduced the likelihood of a future attempt. And it was saving lives, just the simple act of reaching out and letting somebody know that they matter. Uh, and you can imagine after a psychiatric hospitalization, if, if no one's following up, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know, do people care? And it can reinforce a belief system that they're a burden onto others or that they're worthless or they don't matter. Mm-hmm. And so the simple act of reaching out may sound very simple, but it was so beautiful in that it conveyed a message of caring and that they mattered. Their lives mattered. Them as people mattered. And so, um, wow, that's so beautiful. That something so simple could really have an effect on someone. Yes, absolutely. And so, um, as complex as the issue of suicide and unfortunately with suicide, we don't always get the opportunity to reach out to people because they may be successful. And, And that's the whole thing is if you have an opportunity 
to interact with someone that's really thought and thought about killing themselves and has taken steps and actions to doing so, I see it as such a remarkable opportunity if I have even just one session with them. That may be all I have. Mm-hmm. And so it's about making the most of it and making it to where it makes an impact. Mm. And that's, it's, and, you know, I was going to say, that's really what you have to keep in mind when you're just talking to people day to day that you just really mm-hmm. don't know what is going on in their life. Yes, exactly. Right? And you just don't know what they've experienced in their past. Like maybe they experienced a significant loss within the last month or, and it's just it's so important to always show people that kindness and that care, because you don't know if you'll be that person mm-hmm. that just, you know, you by smiling at a stranger, maybe you saved their life. I mean, not absolutely. to be right, but right. absolutely. Yeah. You just, you, de- you never do know. That's so true. Yeah. And some people don't ask for help. And so it can make a big difference. Just being kind and um, caring towards people can make a big difference. Yeah. So I remember um, when we were talking, you were, you were telling me that um, a lot of people don't ask for help because they are ashamed or they're, you know, embarrassed or um, you were telling me about childhood tendencies mm-hmm. that come across and um, all these reservations with people. Mm-hmm. So how is it that if someone doesn't ask for help, how can you know that they might be experiencing some turmoil? Yeah, so that is going to be very challenging because some people that end up taking their lives are very good at masking both what's beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And these individuals tend to present as caretakers. And so one thing you can look for, because there's certain patterns and trends that I would see and the one the, the the pattern that I would see is with caretakers, um, they really prided themselves in the caretaking of others and didn't really ever ask for help. And if you ask them how they're doing, they're always okay. Mm-hmm. That would be a sign of somebody, if you know someone that's like that, that despite, you know, all your best efforts, you may want to just say, no, like, really, how are you doing? And just push a little bit beyond the, hey, how are you? And just really convey a deep, sincere wanting to check in and know how they are and say, you know, I always see you helping other people. And I always see that you you seem to be in a good mood. And that might be the case. You know, that might be actually genuine and authentic. But I'm just wondering if, if you really are okay. Mm. It'd be one way because unfortunately um, I would have, I would also have opportunity um, after someone was successful um, taking their life, doing kind of um, after grief support for those survivors. And that was typically the personality traits and how people would describe the person to me is that um, they were just the person that everybody went to. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so when they, they can't like thing on their, um, it's almost like a lot of pressure. Would yes. You say? yes. But it's also a lot of pride that they, that, mm-hmm. that the personality of someone that caretakes so well, and this can kind of be reinforced early in life, um, that this caretaker role and they really don't know how to not be okay. 
And it, it's almost like it rocks their sense of identity or importance. They, they find a lot of importance in being able to help others. And when they can't do that anymore as well, because they're not okay, they have a hard time still finding value in who they are. Wow. So then at that point, it could be a sense of uh, what you're saying, like an identity crisis. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly a great way to describe it. And also, they don't feel like they have anything to offer anymore, that they're not of value if they can't help people because they're not doing well themselves. And so it's a loss of value. It's a loss of identity. And it can be very overwhelming. And and because they're so comfortable with the opposite of always being the one helping others, they're not so comfortable help asking for help. Yeah. And I, I can... Uh understand that. I mean, even, you know, myself, I'm just, uh, I don't like to ask for help too much because mm-hmm. I keep bothering people. <laughs> yes. Right. That's the whole thing is they don't want to be a burden. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And American yeah. culture doesn't help that. You know, we're all, we're, we're really taught to just be independent. Yes. And you know, that's totally it. Cause I don't, I, I'm definitely a caretaker, but not, you know, to that extreme where uh-huh. we'll never ask for help. But I, I definitely get a little cautious when I ask for, you know, when I think I'm asking for too much help. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the society has really ingrained it in us to be very independent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the constant comparison of ourselves. Oh, yes. Right? It's just right. Like you feel like you need to accomplish everything. Oh, it's your- so exhausting. <laughs> so exhausting. It's so and, exhausting. You yeah. know, that's what I was reading in the, um, the stats too, that mm-hmm. um, in millennials, the suicide rate is one of the highest in comparison mm-hmm. to other generations. And it's because they are exhausted from mm-hmm. constant comparison to others, feeling entrapped because they don't make enough money for the ideal lifestyle that they always imagined. Mm-hmm. And just all these pressures of life that eventually lead to people, you know, trying to escape their reality through constant drug use or alcohol or sex or whatever it may be, just the constant, like, let me get out of my reality. Yes, absolutely. And substance use is very common um, presentation that you'll see with someone that also has contemplated suicide because it is, it's that even if it's just temporary, just wanting the pain, the emotional pain to just go away for a little bit, they'll take it. You know, it's just, it, they want relief from the psychological pain. Yeah. It's like, um, it's almost like a, a slow suicide is how I see it. Cause, uh-huh. Right. You're just kind of, you're not going into it with the intention of I'm going to do it, but it's kind of like, Hey, if it happens, it happens. Right. And there's that lack of regard for safety or wellness for themselves. And so that's kind of where you're looking at some higher risk behaviors and not a real concern of any type of impact that the alcohol use or drug use could have on their bodies. And so, yeah, that could definitely be um, another warning sign too. just, you know, um, a disconnection from their health and well-being and some of their behaviors may be more high risk. Because they don't care what happens. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They're like, whatever happens, happens. I'm at the point where I just don't care. And, yeah. you know, I think given um, the situation uh, we were talking the other day about how 
people are isolated right now because of the pandemic and oh yeah you know with the isolation there's a lot of uh, loneliness and anxiety and just that lack of human connection right absolutely so yeah. how, how do you think this is gonna you know affect um people and what what can we do to help each other i guess during this time yeah so one of the most um you know, basic but essential things is taking the initiative to reach out to people and let them know that you're thinking about them, especially people that you may know that live by themselves. Mm-hmm. In the pandemic um, that can uh, that I can't imagine that would just be so isolating. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too is not shying away from being very direct and asking the person, "Well, how are you doing?" You know, and if they say things that kind of get you a little concerned for their thought processes or their well-being, that they're not sounding very healthy, just asking, hey, you know, have you had any thoughts about killing yourself? And that's part of how we get the shame and the stigma away is just being very direct and comfortable asking people we love and care about if they think about it. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. makes it okay for the person on the other end to then maybe feel more comfortable sharing if they do have those thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think, you know, being a person that asks that question, have you thought of killing yourself is like a very direct question. And it's almost to be so upfront with somebody and so direct. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you're right. I think that's the only way that we're going to start changing that conversation. And I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of if you have had thoughts of harming yourself or killing yourself. You know, it's part of that human experience, the human range of emotions. It doesn't mean that you're unstable. It doesn't mean that you're lesser than or that you're no good or you're broken. It's just you're having a hard time coping with a lot of things. Yes. I love how you describe that. It's not that there's anything wrong with the person. It's not about the, another way I like to describe it is it's more about what happens. So anytime I talk to someone that's thinking about taking their own life and they tell me about their life, I fully understand their thought process of wanting to end the pain permanently. Because sometimes it's too much. It's too much to to tolerate. And they're not mm-hmm. sure of any other way out. Right? So there, there's this right. also this under, lack of understanding or maybe not knowing because maybe they grew up in a way that they didn't see people accessing help and reaching out and, and dealing with it in a healthier way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that it, it's more of what's happened to a person and it's overwhelming their ability to cope. I like how you put that because it takes the stigma away as well, because we all have the possibility of, of being faced with too much too quickly and we feel overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, emotions are, they're so tricky. They <laughs> are. They're so good, right? They're very confusing and it could lead you down a spiral or it could bring you up to the highest right. peaks that you can imagine. Right. It's like, it's a roller coaster. It is. It totally is a roller coaster. And I think for some people, sometimes that roller coaster is so intense and so fast that 
They just don't know how to move forward or if they can. But I think, and I like to believe that there's always a way to move forward. Yes. And so often too, when people are on these roller coaster rides, they may not have been, the way I like to think about it is sometimes, you know, in our upbringing or in our lifetimes, we're not um, oftentimes taught emotional skills to help regulate and to make that roller coaster a little bit more of like a, um, like a kid's ride at Disneyland, you know, something manageable (laughs) that we're not afraid we're going to fly off of. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's, it's oftentimes too, it's just that life is so challenging and we sometimes we don't have the tools that we need to manage it. And so there's no shame in going in and learning some tools and ways to slow the roller coaster down to make it feel a little bit more, um, you know, that it's something that's not going to overwhelm you. Yeah, I think, and you know, I think you just brought something up that's so beautiful and so perfect because it's true. You know, we're taught certain skills in school and we're taught how to be good employees and we're taught how to, you know, what society expects of us with marriage and a spouse and a house and this and that. Right. Right. But when are we ever taught those emotional skills? Right. Like, when does that happen? Did I miss those classes in school where it's like, learn how to deal with your anxiety? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. They don't teach that in school. Um, And so those life skills about learning how to manage emotions, um, oftentimes a lot of us don't have those skills and and it makes it hard to adapt in life to stressors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, going back to how we're saying all this has a stigma, you know, people then aren't likely to go and find ways to manage their emotions Mm -hmm. or learn about emotional skills because they're already embarrassed that they're dealing with anxiety or they're dealing with an eating disorder or drugs or whatever. Right. And that's, you know, I think a lot of this is taught at home Mm -hmm. with our, and the hard part is that a lot of times our families also come from broken dysfunctional backgrounds, Mm -hmm. right? Right. They themselves didn't learn these skills. And then it's just passed on from generation to generation until someone is vulnerable and brave enough to step out of that and, and look for help. Yes, exactly. That's, that's exactly how it works. And so that brave individual then can change the family uh, future by Mm -hmm. making the family healthier. And this is a lot of why I came into this field is I, I really find so much profound meaning in life about relationships too. So inability or inability to manage emotions is one aspect. And the other is being able to have the skills to build meaningful healthy, stable relationships that also are not on a roller coaster. Because some people have these on again, off again, on again, off these very stressful relationship dynamics that can cause a lot of emotions as well. And so it's about how do I create a healthy relationship in my life? And that's a really good question. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of people, for the same reason you just said, don't know how to do that. Like they won't necessarily know how to repair something if they've maybe betrayed someone or there's been an issue with trust in the relationship. How do Mm -hmm. I actually repair that? And some people don't have those skills. And so it takes managing life 
that's already hard, you know, even oh, yeah. these skills, it can be hard, but it, it feels unmanageable without skills. And so yeah, if people it... can think about it as not treatment, but more of like, okay, I didn't learn this growing up. So I'm going to go to a class or like, I'm going to have some one-on-one training with somebody that knows about these things. And I'm just going to get these tools that I didn't get before. Yes. That might help with the stigma too. Totally. That's what I was going to say. I think our mindset around this has to shift in the sense of nothing's wrong with you. And okay. If you came from, you know, dysfunctional background or whatever happened, but it's like you said, it's almost like you're going into a career, into a job called life, and you don't have the proper tools or skills to do really well at that job. Yes, exactly. Right. So that's why it's so important to take care of our emotional health. And like you said, our relationships and um, what do you have any tips on how how to grow emotional skills or, you know, how to get, I guess, better at it? Yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of resources out there where people maybe wouldn't even have to go into traditional counseling, you know, but really it, that is one of the best ways because in a clinical relationship with a therapist, you really have a safe emotional place to practice these interpersonal skills. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't, you know, grow up with a real healthy, supportive um, family dynamic or system, that is invaluable to learn those skills and to also practice them. Because mm-hmm. so many of us need an opportunity to practice what we're learning so that it kind of solidifies for us. And so yeah. for counseling, group therapy is also another really great place where people mm-hmm. can, again, in a safe place where there's boundaries and rules around, you know, the therapist will help people um, kind of manage their relationships within the group so that people learn how to safely and kind of how to build intimacy, how to learn how to control their emotions. So one tool, for example, that I see oftentimes with suicide presentation is a holding in uh, almost Mm -hmm. of a lifetime's worth of just painful experiences because there wasn't an outlet for it anywhere. And so individuals will, where I see that too, is um, just not having a place to put their emotions, their thoughts, and their feelings. And so part of going to counseling too is, is having a place to start expressing yourself. If people don't want to do counseling, they can just start journaling as a way of processing their thoughts and feelings. Because it doesn't come out, it just builds and builds and builds. And this is where people may have panic attacks or may feel suicidal Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they're just, or numb because they're just too overwhelmed by too many things compounding. And then COVID hits and that just adds a layer of stress and anxiety on all of us across the globe, actually. So if you were already maxed out before COVID hit, it's definitely not going to help your situation. It's going to be even more difficult to manage. Exactly. And that's why, you know, I asked you to come on today because I just, I feel like that could be something that is happening with a lot of people. And, um, it just, it, it really makes me sad. It's like, I just want people to like see their worth and that they were made with love and that they're here for a reason and that 
the reason we go through so many difficulties in life also is to keep growing from them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just breaks my heart whenever I come across articles of people taking their lives or, you know, celebrities like Robin and people like that. I'm just like, what? It's like, but, but how, like, why? Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. And I think you, you know, made a great point that if you're already going through a lot and then with, covid and the pandemic it's like just an extra layer it is and it and it like you had mentioned earlier too it's that isolation layer which is such a big one for someone that may be thinking about suicide is you can really i know a lot of us are just caught in our in our relationship with ourselves in a whole new way because of covid there's fewer distractions Mm -hmm. there's fewer opportunities for socialization so we're hanging out with ourselves and our internal relationship with self a lot more. And if there isn't anyone there to check in on us or to, you know, see how we are, we're left to our own devices. You could see where someone's suicidal thinking, they could reinforce that, that thought process because there's no one to bounce it off of or no one to check in or no one to notice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that's why, you know, I think during this time, how you said earlier, it's really important to, reach out to people, you know, reach yeah. out to call them. If you don't want to call because you feel too intrusive, go ahead and send them a text. Just like make sure people know that they're cared for. Yes. Kind of said your, your prevention program that you were running, um, you guys would send them letters, right. To make sure they were doing well. We would actually, um, so that was the research that it was based off of. And what we would do is we would call, we would oh. call and we would check in and say, hey, did you make your appointments? Do you not want to go to your appointments? If so, what's going on for you? And kind of just make sure that they connect to ongoing care and support, but also just the basic call, just to let them know that somebody's thinking about them and that they matter. Mm-hmm. That goes a really long way for someone that really thinks um, that, you know, they're a burden. Yeah. Yeah, that they don't, they don't matter. Like, yes. what's the point of them being exactly. on this Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. it's, it's important to keep that care. And I love how you said just that one small act. It's like just that one small act of a phone call mm-hmm. is enough to really maybe help somebody. And, um, you know, I think during this time, it's really important to, like you said, keep that relationship with ourselves and really dive, dive deeply into ourselves, but Mm -hmm. help other people and reach out, stay connected. And I like how you also said to uh, start journaling and maybe, you know, reach out to a counselor and you could do like zoom calls or on the phone. Oh, but right. Is that something? Yeah. A lot of um, providers are now offering telehealth. And so you can, if you have concerns about COVID and seeing someone in person, that's no problem. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, options now for people to seek out support virtually. That's that amazing. Be a barrier. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's also a 24-7 hotline for people that, not just people that are maybe thinking about suicide, maybe they even have a plan and they've worked out some of the details to how they would want to take their life. That would definitely be someone, if you're listening, I would strongly encourage you to call this hotline. 
Um, but it can also be for family members that maybe they do ask this question and the person that they love says yes and they don't know what to do. Well, what do I do with that? I, I'm not really sure. I asked the hard question mm -hmm. and now they said that they do think about it. Um, so you can call this hotline just to consult with a professional that will be able to advise you as the best way to support your family member. And so um, the suicide hotline that I'd really like to share, if that's okay. Yes, please, please is, do. Um, 1-800-273-8255. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing too is so often, and this is why I think the suicide rates are, are very high, is that people may not take the initiative to ask for help. And mm -hmm. anytime, you know, we can be the ones in their lives as, our, as people that care for each other to be that one to ask and to take that initiative away from the person that may not be, you know, that may be thinking about suicide. It's a huge mm -hmm. opportunity and a gift to take that burden off the person that's thinking about taking their life. It's a really big deal um, to do that and to ask the person if they're struggling with suicidal thoughts. Yeah, because then you take away that pressure from them of them having to be vulnerable enough to yes. ask for help. Yes, because right? so often when I would work with individuals that have thought about suicide, oftentimes they learned early in life that they just need to rely on themselves. And mm -hmm. they learned very quickly, you know, I don't want to overwhelm anyone. They maybe had caretakers that were overwhelmed. Maybe they had untreated mm -hmm. mental illness, addiction, working five jobs. It could be any number of things where the parent was distracted or anything. They learned very quickly, okay, I can't go and ask for help. And so oftentimes people in even in adulthood that maybe are really struggling, they still won't ask. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really um, a huge thing is to just be able to ask people that we love and care about. Yeah. And I think it's important, like you said, to maybe just be direct with the question yeah. and just go for it and ask, you know, it might be uncomfortable, but that could be the thing that saves that person's life and makes them know that they're loved and that they do. Exactly. Matter. And that it's okay for them to say that they think about it, because if you don't ask directly, the research says, and I'm, um, the research that I'm speaking of is the Columbia suicide scale. And mm -hmm. it speaks to how important it is to use that direct language when you're asking. And that it's mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. indicated to just be that direct with someone. That's how it's suggested to be, to ask is, do you yeah. have any thoughts of killing yourself? That's what the research says is a, the best way to get that information from someone that may be thinking about it. But it's yeah, very, I like, think... it's very abrupt for someone that maybe doesn't ask that all the time or has maybe never asked someone that question. It sounds intrusive, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, like I said, it's like an uncomfortable exactly. question. I mean, it's you, don't, so you don't want to ask yeah, that. Definitely. <laughs> but you know, I think in certain times you have to be direct. And this is one of those times that you know, brush all of that embarrassment aside and that, oh, but I don't want to be intrusive. It's like, forget that. Right. This person could be saved by you if you just are brave enough to feel uncomfortable, 
and just ask them if they're thinking about it, if they've ever thought about it, and just asking the direct question of, are you okay? But seriously, are you okay? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because even after, you know, um, somebody maybe had a recent attempt, received some treatment, and they would come into this program that I would oversee, and I'd be developing safety planning, oftentimes part of the safety plan included, you know, reaching out to a loved one to let them know that you need immediate assistance and help. And that was such a hard barrier for the person to be willing to, well, they're, they're probably at work or they may be, oh, I don't want to bother them. And mm-hmm. so what I would do with them is we would call together and make it easier, you know, of course, with their permission, let's call the right. support person together. And so that way, you you take the band-aid off in a sense of okay now the first call's already been made and then the person that would answer the phone i can't tell you the amount of relief that that's the call that they got that the person's in right. a in a suicidal crisis not the call that they completed a suicide that's the call that they dread more than anything but the person that thinks about suicide doesn't think about it like that. And it's such a powerful intervention to connect with a loved one and, and realize, wow, I really am deeply cared about. Mm. It's so it's such a powerful way for someone to really feel supported in, in such a, a dark, hopeless moment in their life. Right. And I think it's so amazing and beautiful that you helped do that and you held, you know, their hand because ultimately that's what they needed, yes. right? They needed some hold their hand and walk with them through the dark. It's okay. We're going to find the light here. You know, Cause not, not always do, they, do people that think about suicide need, you know, significant level of intervention. Sometimes it's just connectedness and having mm-hmm. somebody that they know cares about. I had people say, where are you? I'm coming right now. Don't move. Mm. Oh yes. gosh. Yes. I mean, it was just so powerful and just to see, you know, the person just pretty much break down every, almost every time. Like, oh, wow, because no. it, it, it shocks the system to the belief system of that I don't matter and it is better that I'm not here. That immediately gets rocked when they connect with someone that loves and cares for them and says, absolutely not. Right. So glad you called me while you are alive and I can help you. I will oh. do anything I can to help you. And so... And not everybody has people like that in their life, right? And so that's the hard part too, is then how do you build relationships like that? Mm -hmm. How do people that have difficulty building intimate relationships, where do you go? And how do you teach them those skills so that they can have more meaningful connections in their life and build hope that way? Okay, you don't have anybody right now that you would call. That's okay. There's a reason for that. Maybe connecting with people hasn't gone very well for you. Maybe it's hard for you. Let's figure out what it is and we can work together. And so it's always providing hope is the, yeah. and an alternative to, to death by suicide. That's the goal when you're working with someone that thinks about suicide or even just talking with a, a friend or family member. It's providing hope that there's relief for their pain that's not death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That there is something else past this dark 
Yes. And they can't see outside of it at the time, right? No. It's really kind of shining little lights at first of like, well, what about this? Have you ever, you know, thought about, you know, learning a little bit more about how to create these relationships instead of thinking it will never happen for you? It's that all or nothing thinking. Exactly. Yeah. Which is so easy to fall into when you're in that dark place, right? And so many people have a lifetime's worth of evidence to say, yeah, I'm not very good at this. And so you're going up against a lot with some, some people and it's kind of how to reach them. Okay. So we know what not to try. (laughs) We know what hasn't worked. We won't do any of those things again. Yeah. It's immediately building hope. Well, what, what about this? Have you tried this and you hope for a no (laughs) to get some hope, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, that's a really good point how you're saying um, that maybe since people, a lot of people don't know how to ask for help and might not have someone to call. Yeah. I think it's important that you did bring up that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Yeah. Because if you don't have anyone to call, right, there's yes. this prevention line that's running. Is it 24-7? It's 24-7. And what I found also is even though people may have people, they don't want to burden them. So they would prefer to call the suicide prevention hotline as to not inconvenience someone in their life. Mm. Again, that goes down to how much they matter. Right. And it's about not feeling like they matter. And that just, it, like you were saying, it's just so sad. It's so heartbreaking. heartbreaking. It It is. You know, the end of the day, like The more I learn about this topic and, you know, talking to you the few times that we've talked about all these things and all it's just makes me feel like at the end of the day, we all really need to practice our emotional skills, but also our, our self-love. Yes. Self-compassion, self-love. That would sound for someone that's thinking about suicide, you know, of course I'm thinking about suicide. My life has been so painful. I've had so little joy in my life. It's just Mm -hmm. been one struggle after another. And I feel like it's never going to get better. And it's okay that I think about that. Exactly. Just about having compassion for, for someone that, you know, when you're thinking about it is, you know, of course I am. I've been through too much who, who wouldn't be thinking about it? Cause when people share with me what they've been through, I'm like, well, yeah, of course that's crossed your mind. Or of course you've really thought about that is like, it's almost some people have it as chronic suicidal thoughts where it's, it's almost like if all else fails, I have, I have a way to end my pain and oh they my keep God. it in the back pocket oh. almost. And I tell them, I understand that life has been nothing but pain for you. Right. Yeah. And so it's about, you know, providing that deep compassion and, and self-love is so healing. Yeah. Not just and ourselves. Exactly. And I think it's just, uh, it's so crucial to really love ourselves. And yes. I know that's hard for us to do. It's, <laughs> it's a lifelong it's, struggle. Right. It's like, yeah. there's always something that you don't like about yourself. There's always something that you're annoyed about yourself or like, there's always reasons to beat yourself up. But at the end of the day, we are our biggest advocates. And uh, I've talked to a lot of people that have struggled with drug addictions and alcoholism and things of that nature. And at the end of the day, I always notice that they just 
don't love themselves enough. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, breaks my heart. Cause I think to myself, like you're on this earth for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big God believer. I'm like, God does not make mistakes. Like you're here, you were made in the image of God with love. And for you to think that you don't matter is just showing that you are so removed from your divine inner self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so important to dig into that. It is. It's so important. And when I think about what you just said, so often we learn to love ourselves because love's been shown to us and empathy has been shown to us. And not everyone has that. Mm-hmm. And, that's a good, and that's where that sense of, of that they matter, right? Like that your, your emotional experience, that your feelings matter. And so, so often it becomes almost like a journey in adulthood to really find that and connect to that. Um, because maybe some early life experiences did not communicate that to us. And it was very hard to walk away with self-esteem that we mm-hmm. heard. You know, and the other thing I'll mention too, what, what, what I thought about when you said that is the millennials. I mean, how do you get self-esteem when you're constantly bombarded with social media, what everyone <laughs> else is doing and wearing and having and all the things? Oh, gosh. And there's no break from it. It's 24-7. No. Yep. And it's at the palm of your hands, yeah. like whenever you want it. That's it. And how, how to create healthy boundaries around that and how to create a healthy sense of self-esteem, you know, that's not easy. It's not. And I think you're so right with this addition of social media and now that extra isolation and it's, it just adds up. So, you know, that's why I'm so thankful that you were able to take time today to bring this up and, you know, talk about everything we need to know with suicide because it's, it's prevalent and it's so depressing that such young people, especially young people think that the only way out is to end their life. Yes. It's so tragic. And so, yeah, no, I'm so, thank you so much for having me. Um, Like I said, you know, even if this just impacts one or two listeners, it was just so well worth the time. And I really appreciate you inviting me on. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you so much, Megan. I know you're so busy. You, <laughs> you have a lot to do and you're working. So honestly, your your time is precious. And I appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us and your time. And um, again, could you repeat that um, suicide prevention lifeline number? Oh, just in yes, case absolutely. I wanted to write it down. Yes, absolutely. It's 800-273-8255. And it's the suicide hotline and it's for anyone that's experiencing suicidal thoughts or has a loved one that has suicidal thoughts and you're not really sure how to best support them. You don't even have to hesitate to call. It's 24 seven and it can really start. It can really create a new trajectory in your life um, of healing and hopefully finding some, some relief from emotional pain that just doesn't right now feel manageable. So absolutely. And you said they also have a chat uh-huh. Oh, yes. And there is a chat option, too, if you prefer. Some people are really uncomfortable calling and talking. There's mm-hmm. a chat option, too, that's 24-7. And if you just, you know, in any search engine, just put in suicide hotline, the chat option will come right up for you. And so you can also reach out over chat. Perfect. That's great. Because, you know, some people, yeah, might feel uncomfortable calling or so that is beautiful that they provide that option. And 
Oh, uh, and thank you so, so much. Thank for... you, Lucy, for having me. I really appreciate yes. this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for shining light on this. And for everyone out there that's listening, um, if you're going through a hard time right now, please don't feel like you're in this alone. And don't let yourself think that it's never going to end and that you don't matter. And the only way out is to take your life. Um, there's a lot of things out there that can help. I hope that this episode helped you. And if you know of anyone that is experiencing any of this, um, please look into that hotline and um, also reach out to someone, you know, just send them a quick text, call them for a couple minutes, just let people know that you're there and check on people. It's really important to do that. But thank you everyone for listening and um, have a wonderful day and remember to shine and flow.